A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. If it's not cooked on a spit, it is not a shawarma. A lot of people who make claims are like, yeah, it's a shawarma. And then they just do like thinly sliced meat cooked on a flat top thrown in a pita. It burns me up inside. You have tried every single shawarma place that's like within a reasonable distance of our home. And and sometimes unreasonable (laughs) distance. And it's most of the time it's not built in the vertical spit. It's a shame. It's a damn shame. Welcome to Deep Dish, the show where we do deep dives on dishes we love and then cook them. <laughs> I didn't it. know like you had that radio voice in you. All of a sudden, oh, Batman I can, voice. I can bust it out whenever. I'm Sola. And I'm Ham. We're married. And we're chefs. We nerd out on food together all day long. And we love learning about the stories behind different dishes and ingredients. Now we're going to do all that nerding out on this podcast. In each episode of Deep Dish, we'll deep dive into the story behind the food. Then we'll head home to our kitchen and see what we feel inspired to cook up. Today's story, the twisting tale of Tacos al Pastor from Lebanon to Mexico City. First of all, for people who don't know what al pastor is, the al pastor taco is a pork taco. The pork is usually seasoned with chilies and achiote. Achiote or annatto seeds, it's what gives the pork its reddish color, and it also has an earthy flavor. The pork is stacked on a vertical spit, stacked in a way where it looks like a spinning top, and that in Spanish is a trompo. That spit spins in front of usually this metal grate that has some kind of heat source behind it, and it cooks as it spins, roasting the outside. And so you shave the outside of that onto a corn tortilla, have some pineapple on top, some chopped onions, cilantro, and then sauces of your choice. What is your, like, ideal version? When you think al pastor, what do you want to see in your taco? I'm looking for a certain texture of the meat. I feel like a lot of al pastors and spit meats in general don't get enough char and color on their outside. So I want to feel a little crunch, and I want to taste at least a little bit of acidity from some vinegar, some chili, some garlic, some kind of seasoning. That's way more specific than what I was thinking when I think of al pastor. What is your ideal al pastor taco? The first thing that comes to mind is the pineapple. The first thing that comes to mind is the pineapple. Because I love pineapple pizza. There's not a lot of places where you can get pineapple and savory food. But pastor, they're doing it probably the best. Pineapple is what makes it a unique taco. So you think the pineapple is what makes the al pastor the al pastor and not necessarily the skewered meat. Yeah, that's probably totally wrong. <laughs> no, there's no, there's, there's no right or wrong. It's very interesting. That's a very, <laughs> very interesting view on what makes an al pastor an al pastor. Because I, yeah, I immediately go to skewered like a trumpo. But either way, tacos al pastor have become this iconic taco in Mexico. 
but it actually originates from a totally different part of the world. Uh-huh. I found this food historian who teaches at the National University in Mexico, and she also teaches at La Escuela de Gastronomía Mexicana, which is the School of Mexican Gastronomy. Uh, her name is Inga Hernandez, born and raised in Mexico City. Inga's always been really into history. I started to thinking about history when I was maybe 13 years old. That's amazing. Most 13-year-olds yes. still want to be an astronaut or a firefighter. <laughs> maybe, but now I wanted to be historian. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to be a chef. So I, I uh, great. That's we, great. We, we, we did. Uh, we we accomplished our goals. I think a lot of people outside of Mexico, when you mention Mexican food to them, their mind immediately goes to tacos. Mm -hmm. What does the taco mean to Mexican food and Mexican food culture? The taco is a way to eat. It's not a dish. It's a way to eat. Mm -hmm. You can put on a tortilla everything you want. Hmm? Meat, fish, vegetables, everything that you want. In Mexico City, there's one taco to rule them all. The al pastor? The al pastor, baby. The taco al pastor is maybe the most uh, recognized street food in Mexico City. I taco al pastor is always king in Mexico City. Sola, there's this one place in Mexico City that straight up claims that they invented al pastor. Uh, so they're called El Tizoncito. And they're one of these, like, al pastor chains that have 15 locations in Mexico City. Tizoncito means ember in Spanish. That's a reference to them actually cooking their al pastor over charcoal. Oh, wow. That's their signature. Um, I talked to their brand manager, Omar Gonzalez Lopez. Doña Conchita y el trompo al pastor. Desde hace más de 50 años, Doña Conchita... On their website and on the outside of some of their restaurants, in big, bold letters, it says, We are the creators of Tacos al Pastor. Somos los creadores del Taco al Pastor. It's a big claim. Big claims. Big claim. making, I'm going to need evidence. They're making big claims. I want hard evidence because I don't buy it. If we're looking for evidence, we need to start with a backstory of El Tizoncito. It all starts with Concepcion Cervantes, who goes by the nickname Doña Conchita. She was an executive assistant. She was married. She had three kids. And then her husband dies. So she's trying to figure out how she can support her family. And she decides that she's going to give it a go at opening a taqueria. Wow, so she didn't have culinary background. She didn't have culinary background at all. El Tizoncito opened in the 1960s, roughly. The Taco al Pastor specifically, like considering how ubiquitous it is in Mexico City and how much it's taken over Mexican cuisine in terms of like name recognition, it's not that old. Once she decided she was going to switch over to tacos, how did she come about with this taco? She took an inspire of the shawarma that is an Arabic taco. The shawarma was very famous here in Mexico because of the uh, people that moved from the East. Oh, from the Middle East. Yes. So this iconic Mexican taco, its origins aren't entirely Mexican. It's inspired by Lebanese immigrants who came to Mexico. I mean, if you look at a trompo, it looks a lot like a shawarma. So... Doña Conchita came across Lebanese immigrants who were selling shawarmas. She claimed that she saw a horizontal spit being rotated on top of charcoal. And then she took that 
and innovated that and turned that into a vertical spit. She invented the vertical oven with charcoal, that vertical oven for cook the, the meat. That's a controversial claim, that she invented the vertical spit. There are many controversial claims that El Tisoncito are making. We're going to So she's we're not dive just claiming that. that she invented the El Pastor, but the method of yes. cooking on a vertical spit. Yes. There, there's, she's, Whoa. Yeah. That, that's the claim. What I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. You don't buy that? No, you don't, I don't buy, buy Doña Conchita? No, I mean, I don't buy any of the story now. I was like on board with the perhaps she invented the El Pastor, but the claiming the vertical spit, that's completely false. Like there's so much archaeological evidence of vertical spits throughout the Middle East that are like so old. This is like an ancient cooking method. So now if she's willing to lie about that, what else is she lying about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was a little skeptical, too. So I went to Inga. I wanted to find out yeah, more yeah. about the history. I want to see what Inga had to say about it. No, you have to go you to ha- Inga. You have to go to Inga. I really want to know what she said. She agrees that the shawarma is a big part of Al Pastor's history and DNA. But Inga said that the story of the Pastor started way before El Tisoncito in the 1960s. I knew it. <laughs> I could feel it in my bones. <laughs> The taco al pastor has a history related with immigration. In the 19th century, the Lebanese community started to come to Puebla and also to other parts of Mexico, like Yucatan, for example. So Lebanon was part of the Ottoman Empire, and at the time the empire was crumbling, so wars are breaking out. People usually want to leave when things get violent. So a lot of Lebanese left Lebanon for other countries, Mexico being one of them. After we get our independence in 1821, Mexico opened the doors to many migrations. They came French people, Italian people, English people, and also people from Middle East. I didn't know there was like a come one, come all immigration policy in in Mexico. So when we uh, got our independence, we tried to open the doors and to try to find a new identity. Okay, we are not Spaniards, we are what? So a lot of people came to us in 18th century, so they want to open businesses, no? They open hotels, restaurants, for example, coffee shops, all of these kind of businesses here. And of course, we opened the doors to the to the food, to different flavors, to different mm-hmm. tastes. For example, in Mexico City, we have a lot of French restaurants, you know, because the most stylish thing was eat by the French way, you no? Know? So mm-hmm. we started to adopt this kind of um, influences. You always hear about, you know, Ellis Island and how, like, bring us everyone. Uh-huh. But, like, Mexico had that attitude as well. The Lebanese immigrants, they settled a few hours southeast of Mexico City in Puebla. Puebla was a big, like, textile manufacturer at the time, and a lot of the Lebanese immigrants were in that industry already. So it was a pretty seamless transition. And as usual with immigration, you always get the cuisine as part of that immigration as well. A lot of them came to Puebla and started to establish a little restaurants and they started to uh, sell, of course, shabarma, no? mm-hmm. that kind of food, for the, the community, the Lebanese community in Puebla. Maybe at, uh, at the beginnings of 1920s, 
they started to transform the recipe of the shawarma because they changed the lamp for pork. Because Puebla is a state that uh, has a lot of pig farms. So we're starting to like see some of the changes now. So like you got Lebanese immigrants moving to Puebla and bringing the shawarma with them, but finding out that like, oh, lamb's expensive and not as easy to access here, but there's a lot of pork. It's a lot cheaper. And a lot of the Lebanese immigrants were Christian. They weren't Muslim or Jewish. So pork was okay to eat. So that was a pretty easy transition. It's interesting how whenever people bring their cuisines to another country, how well people can adapt to the local ingredients. And it sounds like that's what they were doing. Like, this is like an important part of their culture and their heritage, but they're making it work with the ingredients they have. And so they called this new shawarma the taco arabe, the Arab oh, taco. The taco arabe is like a, a transition point. Exactly. It's like an in-between. It's one of those moments where you can see history in front of you. It's like those evolution charts uh-huh. where they put the evolution from like the early apes into the human. It's just like that chart because you see the shawarma into the taco arabe into the taco al pastor. Can you describe the taco arabe? So the taco arabe is thin slices of marinated pork similar to the al pastor meat that's cooked on a vertical trumpo and it's served in either a pita or a flour tortilla. And they're still really, really popular in Puebla, where there still is a large Lebanese community. What's the seasoning for the pork for the Arabe? Some tacos Arabes keep the Lebanese seven-spice vibe, but some of them started adding chilies and achiote, more like what would become an al pastor. And that addition of chilies was an important stop on the road to al pastor. It's very common that Mexican food, if you want to um, make it more enjoyable for us, Put them chili and that's all. <laughs> you, can, you can find in the cookbook recipes, for example, the bolognese sauce a la mexicana. No, that's the name of the recipe. What's the difference? You only have to put chili. So it's and bolognese with chili and then it's bolo- yes, bolognese a la mexicana. Bolognese a la mexicana, yes. That's the difference. And it's very common to find this kind of, this kind of things in the recipes from uh, 19th century. So they like kind of took that approach to making the al pastor tacos. Like, let's take the shawarma, we'll add chilies. In order to get more clients, no, the Lebanese uh, cook decided marinate this meat in chili, in a chiote, with onions, with garlic. We still eating something that looks like shawarma, but with a with a Mexican flavor, and the taco al pastor born. I, I feel like it's exactly the same method for Bangladeshi food. Oh, really? Like my mom's move was, this is going to be Bengali meatloaf because there's ginger and chili in it. There you go. Like it's, it's the like, same. Like people <laughs> there's do that. core flavors. They're core flavors. Uh, that Once you hit the core flavor, it becomes a part of like the culture. If you hit those notes. Bobby Flay wasn't wrong about adding... Uh, what does he add to everything? Ancho chilies. Ancho chilies. <laughs> Transformed. So let's let's do a recap. Okay. So Lebanese immigrants bring shawarma to Puebla. Over time, that lamb becomes pork, the pita becomes tortilla, and then that cylindrical spit starts to widen up top, and then it becomes a trompo. 
this transformation from shawarma to pastor is also kind of mirroring this interesting time where Mexico's trying to like define their national identity. So in the 1800s, Mexico was all about opening its doors to everybody, welcoming other cultures, other foods. But then the 1900s came and there was a shift. Mexicans started becoming a lot more interested in foods that were Mexican. In that time, we started to look a new identity with our dishes. No French food, no Italian food, no Spanish food. Our food, for example, moles, pozoles, tacos, started to be the stars of our gastronomy and were named traditional food. And we started to thinking about moles and tacos and this kind of food as our food. So that didn't happen until 1910. That's pretty recent. That's not that long ago. We were trying to look for our identity and we create and recreate a lot of dishes from our past. That's crazy. Right? I I thought that was crazy. So all of these dishes that we now think of as iconically, historically Mexican are are very new. They're all a part of this, like, reawakening of Mexican gastronomy, of trying to rediscover the old and fusing it with the new. Like, so Tacos Arabes and the Al Pastor are kind of happening in this time period. I asked Inga if Lebanese immigrants were in Puebla, and then that's where the shawarma began its transformation. How did it end up in Mexico City? So she said in the 1960s, there was a lot of people coming to Mexico City looking for new opportunities, and they were coming from other parts of Mexico and all over the world. And then 1968, Mexico City, Olympics. They wanted to turn that into more of like a touristy spot. So nothing attracts people more than a wide range of food. So you started seeing a Chinatown start to pop up. And then that's when the Al Pastor started becoming more popular. All because of the Olympics. Now Al Pastor's a Mexico City dish. That's crazy. And when Al Pastor moved to Mexico City, it changed. Maybe the difference between tacos al pastor in Puebla and the tacos al pastor in Mexico City is the pineapple. The smallest slice of pineapple. No? And this is uh, an invention no? from uh, a taqueria named El Tizoncito. Huh? Does that sound familiar? The pineapple, baby. By your definition, since the Al Pastor taco is made by the pineapple, and the El Tizoncito probably invented, like, started putting pineapples on their Al Pastor, sounds like you, you're you on El Tizoncito's side now. They invented the Al Pastor taco. Wow. We, you're convinced. We've got you on tape uh-huh. affirming their claims. Uh-huh. Wow. Donia will be so happy. So I don't, happy want, I don't want one without pineapple. So they did it. Hey. I think that pineapple is a genius bit of marketing. It's like visually from far away, you see the pineapple on the spit and you know that that's their... That's a pastor. That's their trompo. Mm-hmm. It's very smart. And it was probably cheap. Uh-huh. And Mexican food's all about acidity. Uh-huh. Like it's all about balancing acidity with heat and like lard and fat. And, and that pineapple is a really nice way to add a different kind of acidity that isn't lime. It's the ultimate functional garnish. And you get texture. It's like you get another kind of crunch. Uh-huh. All right, I'm becoming a pineapple believer. Now uh-huh. I'm going to pay more attention to the pineapple of my pastor. 
As you know, I spent a solid chunk of my professional career making al pastor at Empeon. So many tacos. But I kept hearing about this place in Brooklyn that opened not so long ago, Taqueria Ramirez. The owners are from Mexico City, and I heard that they had great al pastor. So I wanted to see how they made theirs. I know we had planned for a while now to go there together, but I went there without you. That's a problem. <laughs> Is this podcast going to tear us apart? I am sorry because I feel bad that you weren't there, but I'm not sorry that I ate it. And I'm going to learn how they build their trumpo, which is different than any trumpo that I've made in my Al Pastor days. That's coming up after the break. It's time to open up a can of advertisements. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level, and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. I'm Ham. And I'm Sola. Welcome back to Deep Dish, a collaboration with our friends at the Sporkful Podcast. If you're new to the Sporkful, welcome. I would describe the Sporkful as a fun conversation about food. They're either stories or interviews, or it can be really anything. And if you're looking for a place to start, check out their recent episode about the complicated history of hibachi. 
Hibachi in America was developed after World War II to make Japanese food seem fun and non-threatening to a Western audience. But that required some compromises. Eventually, chefs started playing up stereotypes for laughs. The Sporkful talks with one former hibachi chef who says he was pressured to use a stereotypical Asian accent with customers, even though he was born in America and has no accent. That episode is up right now in the Sporkful feed. Get it wherever you got this one. Okay, back to Tacos al Pastor. So we left off with a Tisoncito opening up in the 60s. From there, Al Pastor blew up, and now it's basically the dish of Mexico City and one of the most popular tacos in all of Mexico. It's also one of the most delicious exports to the rest of the world. You can go to any taqueria in the United States and find some version of Al Pastor. Well, they're claiming it's Al Pastor. It's pro- a lot of them aren't really cooked on trompos. It's just like pork shoulder cooked on a flat top. It still has pineapple. It still has pineapple. Because so, that's what makes it an Al Pastor. Uh-huh. So that, that, that's what makes it to you. <laughs> to you, it's what makes it an Al Pastor. So I've made a lot of trompos, and I'm pretty familiar with how Al Pastor is made. But I've heard that this new spot, Taqueria Ramirez, has their own special way of making trompos. And they've gotten so much great press. I've been wanting to check it out since they opened. So I actually went to Brooklyn. Without me. Without you. Can we stop? I just want to, I can already smell it. Yeah, yeah. I can already, like, as soon as you turn the block, you smell it. You smell the lard, the chilies, the roasting meat. Oh, you did, man. So let me tell you about Taqueria Ramirez. It's a small space. So you walk in and it's all white tiles. And then in one corner, in red marker, that's the menu's just written down. They only have six tacos, and that's it. It's a completely open kitchen, and in one corner they have the trompo. But you weren't kidding, the trompo is so, so wide. So, Taqueria Ramirez, husband-wife team, I didn't know that. The best teams? The best teams, best teams. (laughs) Always supporting husband-wife teams. My name is Giovanni Cervantes. My name is Tania. That's Tania Polinar. Oh, by the way, even though uh, Gio's last name is Cervantes, not related to Doña Conchita Cervantes. <laughs> Unrelated. So Gio's from Mexico City and Tania's from Torreón. Torreón is in the north of Mexico. Neither of them have a background in food. Gio was a photographer. So they started doing taco pop-ups in Greenpoint in 2016. Um, So during the pandemic, they decided to open their own place. Gio thought about what would be on the menu and started watching YouTube videos about street tacos. It's crazy that he was influenced by YouTube. Right? You can learn anything, anything on YouTube. Like my electric toothbrush, there was a screw that went loose and it stopped vibrating. Uh Went straight to YouTube about how to pop that thing open and fix it for myself. That's how I learned how to install lamps. Probably illegally, but... You can learn anything on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gio decided he wanted to do an Al Pastor taco at his taqueria, but there was a problem. He hadn't done Al Pastor for the pop-up. He's never even built a trompo in his life. Well, and it's something that requires a lot of practice, like building it and knowing how to cook it and shave it. A They're lot making of trial a meat sculpture every day. Yeah. And at some point when we had our first self-opening at the shop, we decided just to go for the pastor, even though we have never done it. 
that moment that Gio told me, the first taco we're going to do is a pastor. And I was like, are you sure? Like, we have done everything else for a like, couple months already, like tastings. But this is the only one we haven't done. Like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, we had the speed, but we didn't have a tool to, you know, like build it. So it was Gio kind of like holding the speed for a long time and building it at the same time. Whoa. That's crazy. Like a balancing act. You know what that reminds me of? When we had a restaurant and we didn't have a turntable for a cake and the cake was a core part of the business. The number one seller. And and you were just (laughs) frosting cakes without a turntable. And a turntable is like 20 bucks. This, This is a lot harder. So he's just standing there. With one arm supporting this heavy thing while loading it up with meat with the other arm. Yeah, first time ever soft opening. That's like, that is <laughs> no. a lot of pressure. That yeah. is so much pressure. And? And and it went great. Like, I, when I tasted it, I wanted to cry because, no, literally, it was the, the flavor that I wanted to have in my mouth. There were a few technical issues with the gas, like we... We needed to pump more more fire into it, but the flavor was there. I was, was like, damn, dude, no, <laughs> I respect you, you know, <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> How much relief did you feel when you made the first pastor and you tasted it and you're like, oh, it's good, thank God. I felt like everything was worth it. Like it was, I knew people were going to be happy and I, I knew that all this effort that we were putting into this, that was, making sense. The trumpo on the weekend is 150 pounds of cut up pork shoulder. But it's like the size of a person. It's 150 pounds of meat, but it's really compact. It's really wide. It's really special. How tall is it? It's about two and a half feet tall. So kind of like our dog, like our, our bulldog Clementine. She's very, very dense. Very dense. Like you, you look at her and then she looks like she'd be pretty easy to pick up, but then it's like trying to pick up a cement block. So they get the pork shoulder and then with a long, sharp knife, they kind of cut folds into it. So it's almost like a book. And then they butterfly. Wait, wait. You cut folds into yeah. it? Like a zigzag? Like a zigzag. And then they keep opening it up. So it's like you're butterflying. This oh, entire pork so it, shoulder. So you take one pork shoulder and you turn it into one strip of pork. One sheet. That's crazy. Yeah, so they're going for two to three millimeters thick. Like the knife skills that it takes to make that trumpo is is like sushi level knife work. The The biggest difference between how Gio makes his al pastor and how, how I used to make the one at Empeon We'd use a deli slicer to cut the pork shoulder into thin, even slices, a lot like the grocery store slicer mm-hmm. when you go up and get get a quarter pound of mortadella. It, it took the knife skills out of the equation. And with a slicer, anyone can do it. So you have all these long sheets of pork shoulder, and then that gets marinated in like a giant camber or something? Not even. So they add the salt on it, kind of like a quick dry brine. Uh, you're a big proponent of dry brining. <laughs> I, I love dry yeah, brining. It like it kind of soaks up some moisture, turns into a liquid b- brine, and then gets reabsorbed back into the meat, which seasons, tenderizes, and improves browning. You've heard this spiel from me so many times. <laughs> 
and then you do a liquid marinade. So their marinade is 85% vinegar, and all that acid is also going to do a lot of work on the protein strands. And then they build the trumpo on the vertical spit. It takes them about four hours to build one trumpo. Your arms must get so tired. Four hours of just reaching. I feel like that's a good that's a good workout. We'll call it hot trumpo. <laughs> Everyone has like a little stake that comes out into the ground. We all sit on the floor. Uh, and instead of trumpo, it's like sheets of felt. So it feels really nice on your hands. Hey, and it's really that soothing. sounds nice. And then you just you layer and then you you slowly build your own, your self-healing trumpo. It feels like it would be very calm, mm -hmm. meditative, and you get like a good arm workout. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. I'm going to write this down. Uh -huh. Please uh, keep this out. This is going to be a personal <laughs> business plan. Uh-huh. Gio's big thing is that you slice directly from the trumpo right into the tortilla. We wanted to make it exactly how I like it to be done and how I remember it. Not many people does it that way because it's way easier just to slice it and put it on a grill or put it on a flat top, like a griddle or whatever, and just like leave it ended up being cooked there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it just it just cancels all the charming of, of the whole thing, you know? Like, totally agree with you. That's how yeah. I feel about fried chicken. There's some people who are like, no, we just fry the chicken and then you finish it in the oven. Mm. It's not fried chicken. It's not fried chicken anymore. Yeah. It's fried, then baked chicken. Yeah. If it's fried chicken, you fry it all the way. It tastes if, so different. It's so different. So al pastor, if you're going to hit it on the flat top, you're just yeah. evaporating all that work that you exactly. took to put into it. Exactly that. You've heard my rant on fried chicken many times before. Many times. Almost as many times as I've, I've heard you talk about dry brining. Many, many times. <laughs> and every time it's with the same passion and vigor. Uh, you really hate fried, then baked fried chicken. I hate it. It ruins it. it. ruins it. So, the pineapple. My favorite. I've been dying to really know. Really, the, the only part of the pastor that you care about. Uh-huh. Um, so, they at Ramirez, they have like this giant knife, almost machete-like, and then they use the tip to cut like a flat slab of pineapple that they put on top. It's it's almost meaty mm. when you bite into it. I think I'm gonna like this taco. Yeah, I really think I now that now that I'm thinking about it, it does respect the pineapple. Uh -huh. In a lot of places, people do treat it kind of like just like a, a salsa a or something. Yeah, yeah, where you just like here's a little strip, here's a delicate tender dice, here's a brunoise of pineapple. Now this is a a chunk that you can bite into. What are your thoughts on Pastor now? I think it's my favorite taco, even before this, right? We don't travel for a lot of things. We will travel for a good taco and a good pizza. Those we, are the two things that we'll leave our neighborhood for. Yeah, so I can feel that you're a little mad at me. You had tacos without me. Yes, I, I understand. But it was, it was for research. It was for, for research. Uh -huh. And it wasn't just me. Everyone here had tacos <laughs> without you. We all did. Uh, we clearly, all Clearly, I'm the only you. one that didn't have tacos. We're going to fix that. Okay, that's good. We're going to fix that. I don't think that we could move forward otherwise. In our, in our relationship? Uh-huh. Um, so, I'm making some al pastor tacos when we get home over charcoal el tizoncito style. Okay, I'm excited. But we're also going to try a shawarma and some al pastor tacos from Taqueria Ramirez. Oh, bonus! Side by side, so we can also see where it started, where it ended up. I'm so ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready. We'll do that after the break. 
now, a delicious word from our sponsors. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I'm feeling great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button-down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. Welcome back to Deep Dish. I'm Sola. And I'm Ham. And hey, Ham, did you know that I have a cookbook out called Start Here? You mean the cookbook that's perfect for both beginners and advanced cooks because there's something to learn for everybody? Absolutely. Check it out where books are sold. All right, let's get back to the show. Ham, how's the grill looking? Just checking on the coals, making sure they're nice and hot. You didn't want to try and rig a vertical coal like Doña Conchita? Yeah. No. So with the right marinade on your pork, if you cut it the right way, 
cooked over charcoal just gives it, you know, a little bit of smokiness, a little bit of extra pizzazz. You could easily do it in the broiler. It'll come out just fine. So I, I used um, Alex Stupak's recipe from Tacos Recipes and Provocations. But from all the research, I found out that achiote is a core part of the al pastor. And the recipe for this uses more of like a general adobo, which didn't have achiote in it. So I used that recipe, but added achiote to it to make this al pastor marinade. So in the marinade, there's some dried morita chilies, some guajillo, apple cider vinegar, garlic, Mexican oregano, and the achiote. And boom, tacos al pastor at home, baby. Boom. It looks really nice and, and red. Very deep color. And that's the achiote? Yeah, that's the achiote. Well, we make a lot of stuff at home, but we've never made al pastor. Yes, I'm making pastor at home, but this is not really something anyone would do in Mexico City. You can't compare grilling a piece of meat to like lightly curing it, marinating it, and then stacking it, and then cooking that all together because it kind of like ba is self-basting and cooks really slowly. It's a completely different experience and texture. But if you don't have an al pastor place near you, this is a really good option. Yes, that is a good point. While the meat's resting, I'm gonna chop some cilantro and onions. You gotta see leaves. You gotta see leaves. And like a little tender stem in there, there's nothing wrong with that. So when I reheat corn tortillas, I like to give it a little splash of water before it goes on a nice hot surface because that kind of helps it steam and warm evenly. Steam and a sear at the same time. Mm -hmm. I'm building our tacos. We've got the Taqueria Ramirez al pastor, our home version al pastor. Salsa roja, spicy red salsa, some salsa verde, a guacamole-ish style salsa. Uh, some chopped up onion and cilantro, and a nice chunk of pineapple on top. Okay, where, where do we start? Let's start with the Ramirez. Ramirez, okay. Let's start with the Ramirez. That's really good. Even reheated, it's so good. I think this is easily the best al pastor I've ever had. And it's reheated. doesn't even make sense. The texture on the meat is so cool. You get that really nice crunchy char, but nothing is dried out because of that dry brine. Right? Yeah, it's really, it's really special. I feel like the texture on the meat is what really stood out to me. It's like, whoa, it's like really pleasing to eat. Yeah, like really yeah. fun to bite into. Okay, I get why everyone keeps telling me to go here. It's so good. I've already eaten my whole taco. <laughs> okay. Hard act to follow. But it is, I'm sorry. Let's try, let's yeah. try the home version. It's not bad. It gives you a hint of pastor. It tastes like a pastor seasoned pork steak. Yes. Because the flavor is really good, but the texture is just, it doesn't compare. This is like pieces of steak. Are we going into shawarma? Let's do it. So here we have a lamb shawarma. It's like pretty packed. Yeah. There is a lot of meat in there. And then there's like a lettuce tomato salad and a little tahini to pour on top. The meat's got that shreddy texture that you get with the al pastor. Yeah, like the shavings of mm -hmm. meat. So this was definitely on a spit. Mm -hmm. You want to go in first? Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Oh, that's a big bite. 
good. But I think that after the Ramirez Pastor, the meat is a little dry to me. Because you have that high bar. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's really good. Like if I ate it first, I wouldn't be feeling this way. Pastor we went in the you. wrong order. We should have ended with Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is cool to see the inspiration. Side by side. Side by side. Especially yep. looking at how the meat is cut. Visually, so many similarities, but obviously this is lamb. So the meat fibers are different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we can see the progress of history. You, you can see it. It's like someone put this down. They're like, make that Mexican. Well, that's why it's like whenever people move to different places, they take their food with them. And it's really cool how it evolves, just like naturally. Yeah. So this is like a perfect evolution. It's it's a totally different thing, but you see where it started. So I guess I forgive you for not taking me to Taqueria huh? Ramirez. I brought, brought it, it to you. Me. I brought it to you. Because what do you... What's the one thing you like more than pastor tacos? Staying not leaving home. the house. <laughs> Thanks to Inga Hernandez, Omar Gonzalez Lopez, Giovanni Cervantes, and Tanya Apolinar. And if you're in the Greenpoint neighborhood of Brooklyn, make sure to check out Taqueria Ramirez. If you want the recipe for the homemade version of Tacos al Pastor, we'll put the recipe up on our Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Hamagram. And I'm at Sola Eat. We'll be back in two weeks for our final episode of Deep Dish. Follow or subscribe to The Sporkful so you don't miss that episode. And while you're waiting for that one, check out The Sporkful's episode on why hibachi is so complicated. That's in your feed right now. This episode was produced by Emma Morgenstern and Andres O'Hara with help from Dan Pashman editing by Nora Ritchie and Camille Stanley with help from Josh Richmond and Tamika Weatherspoon sound engineering by Jared O'Connell original theme music by Casey Holford and additional music from Black Label Music our executive producers are Dan Pashman Nora Ritchie and Colin Anderson Deep Dish is a production of Sporkful Media and Stitcher Studios Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.